0: Hi guys, how are you doing? It's Adam Roxby here and I'm back with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times and this article is entitled Who Should Be Feeding Patients and was originally written for the Nursing Times back on the 21st of November 2011. So as always if you enjoy these articles and want to see more then you can head over to adamroxby.uk but without further ado let's have a look. At some point during your student nursing life, you're going to come across patients that are unable to feed himself or herself unaided. In these situations, it may be you or another member of staff that will help out, but who would be best placed to do this? The accountability for a patient's condition lies with the nurses. They have to ensure that the patients are adequately fed. Shocking statistics have emerged detailing the number of patients that leave hospital malnourished. Why? Well, probably a mix between the ward environment, the actual nutritional content of hospital food, and the patient's condition. However, one problem is that mealtimes often coincide with a nurse's drug round, and when trying to prioritise a nurse's time, the medication round usually prevails. There are auxiliary staff like healthcare assistants and associate practitioners but on busy wards there can be more patients in need than there are staff available. The obvious simple answer would be to hire more members of the staff but in times of financial austerity and cutbacks this is a luxury that few wards can afford. How about volunteers? The often secret workforce that runs shops, sells sundries on the wards and carries out administrative tasks may be members of the League of Hospital Friends or other voluntary organisations. Unfortunately, the reality is that not every hospital ward in every trust has access to these generous volunteers. Finally, we've got relatives. So having considered some of the other options it's hard to imagine why any particular hospital trust would be hesitant at seeking the assistance of relatives at meal times, there are clear benefits from the hospital's perspective and I'm sure that any possible outrage that may be uh, garnered in reality is probably just a few grumblings. Maybe the best solution would be a mixture of all the available options. In my opinion, we need to be honest and realistic. Hospitals have to be honest with the public and with relatives in conveying the rationale behind their decisions and in turn we must be realistic in our expectations of the health service. The population is increasing and the funding seems to be decreasing. So I think it's far from the last controversial subject that I'm going to be discussing. As usual, I want to know what you think. What has been your experiences on a busy ward during meal times? How do the staff there juggle their many responsibilities? Let me know. So, as I record this article now, um, t- you know, <laughs> nearly ten years later, um, my arm is slightly aching from the recent COVID vaccination that I've received, and. On many of the adverts that you see now, it's all about protecting the NHS, not overloading the NHS. And does it seem vaguely ironic that we're still talking about this, like I say, nearly 10 years later? um, About the enormity of the tasks that nurses have to undertake and the strains and the stresses put upon NHS staff. I don't know perhaps that's a question for another time but my own personal experience now um after uh, after all these years of nursing is that nutrition is probably a lot um that's probably the importance of nutrition has definitely been undervalued by many people i heard one uh one statistic that general practitioners GPs only have a couple of weeks worth of nutritional training in their entire uh, you know, years of training to become a doctor when the importance of good nutrition and adequate nutrition and the restorative effects of nutrition cannot be understated. Studies have seemed to show that for example diabetes which we used to think was a condition that once you had got was just something that you had to manage that you had to live with um the 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 impetus there was to try and not to make it become any worse so if you were had diabetes which you only controlled through diet then you or tablets then you really didn't want to get to the point where you had to have daily insulin injections and things like this and now we can see that through diet alone you can not only halt the progression but in some cases reverse the the, you know the condition and become free of the medication that you need to take if you're a diabetic these are obviously new uh, and emerging uh, forms of you know fields of science and it's it's exciting and I think it's only piqued my interest more since becoming plant-based and you know shrugging off all forms of animal products has made me see that for years focusing on your know, lack of focus that I had on my own nutrition has been concerning and it made me think how many years was I becoming malnourished by eating meat and dairy how many years was i not getting the adequate essential vitamins and nutrients that i now get because i've realigned my focus to think more about what i put into my body than you know the where i spend my money you know the, the my priority has changed and i think it's hard now especially when you've got so many things that you need to do on a hospital ward spending time and th- the great amount of effort and energy required to think about nutrition for your patients is is just another competing uh, challenge and especially now that we know that adequate nutrition can be so beneficial and really not only, as I said, halt the degenerative effects of poor nutrition, but in some cases reverse those conditions. Now maybe should be the time that we spend more effort on feeding our patients, but it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Anyway, like I said, if you want to hear more of these articles, then just head over to adamroxby.uk, and I've included the link to the original article, Published on the Nursing Times website. Uh, The reason why I've decided to, after all these years, um, make an archive of these articles which had formerly been lost is partly because the Nursing Times had moved their articles to a new system in which all the comments had been lost, and I didn't want that to happen again, so I decided to retain them permanently here on my site. But also, it gives me the opportunity to add like a a little coder to the to the end of these articles you know, revisiting these thoughts and uh, issues as I say all these years later anyway thanks very much and I look forward to speaking to you again really soon hi there how are you doing it's Adam Roxby here back once again with another article from the archives of the Nursing Times how apt that we've got an emergency vehicle blaring in the background. So I have been diligently recording and uploading articles from my time as the student nurse editor, nearly 10 years ago now for the Nursing Times, and I wanted to share these with you. If you enjoy these, then please be sure to head over to AdamBoxby.uk and also in the link to these articles... Is the link to the original article over on the nursing times website so please be sure to check them out but anyway this article was entitled do risk scores undermine a nurse's intuition and it was originally published on the 28th of november 2011. here we go recently i've been thinking about risk scores and whether they work or not An example comes to mind of a trust where high risk scores are called PAR or patient at risk scores. Basically the number the worse the patient is. An example comes to mind of a trust where high risk scores are called PAR or patient at risk scores. Basically the higher the number the worse the patient's condition is. You would give a higher score for a high or low respiratory rate or pulse or systolic blood pressure and so on. On this particular occasion the patient was in severe pain. The patient had quite extensive surgery and there was a fear that they were suffering from some severe complications. The nurse administered morphine but this had little to no effect in alleviating the patient's pain. While the trust had its own measurement system for pain for which the patient was obviously still scoring quite high, the actual PAR score, the patient at risk score was quite low and this is where the difficulty arose. The nurse contacted the outreach team who are a highly skilled team of nurses based in the critical care unit to come and assess the patient. Following that assessment the outreach nurse agreed that the patient needed to be reviewed quickly. House officers were called, senior house officers were believed, and the team tried desperately to contact the registrar. A recurring theme came up that because the patient wasn't scoring high on the risk score, as such it was difficult for the nurses on the ward to convey the severity of the patient's condition. Eventually a registrar came and assessed the patient and agreed with the nurse that the patient did need some intervention. The patient was taken off to the theatre where a full investigation could begin, and if I'm honest, I'm not sure what the moral of the story is, but it does make me wonder as to whether the current approach is really working. As students, we are hopefully being taught to develop our intuition, and it is certainly something that will develop over time. My only concern is that with all of these systems, pathways and scales, what could you know, could we be doing? Di- you know, <coughs> My only concern is that with all of these systems, pathways, and scales, we could be distilling nurse's intuition into a numerical. We could be distilling nurse's intuition into a numerical scale what do you think do you think risk scores undermine a nurse's intuition i remember writing this as i say back in the end of 2011 and i was a bit hesitant as to what i would get in forms of the response and having had a look now all these years later at the the sort of answers that i was getting back is uh it's quite interesting for example one commenter said that and i quote i feel that this is an area where good and effective verbal communication skills are needed obviously scoring systems have their value and their place in our practice but intuition should never be underestimated or disregarded by other medical staff especially doctors this brings up a you know that was a a good comment at the time and i i remember thinking that it brought up quite a um a well a well-worn argument that nurses are the ones who are actually by the patient's side for the majority of a patient's stay in hospital one perhaps could argue that carers even more so um doctors very much rely on the uh comments the assessments and the advice of the nurses for example, you may typically as a doctor be travelling around various wards for twelve if not more hours a day, seeing upteen patients where it's you know, you arrive on a ward, get given a, a description of the the incident or the, the condition of the patient that you're here to assess, whereas it's the nurse who has been by that patient's side on and off all day and perhaps you know for days on end having cared for that patient so really a nurse's intuition is invaluable in these instances so i think the the problem hasn't got any worse from my understanding strictly adhering to Uh, risk scores or escalation pathways and these sort of things can really allow people to fall through the gaps for example if if a certain concern isn't triggering high on a risk score but a nurse has a feeling knows deep down that something is wrong then that should still be responded to quickly and appropriately and I think you know I think this is the case as well I think you know nurses and doctors do have that relationship especially from the times that I've uh, had to escalate concerns to another clinician so yeah I've enjoyed this you know I've for many of these articles this is the first time that I've read them back again since I wrote them originally and it's it's good for me to sort of see where i felt the uh the nhs and the profession was you know nearly 10 years ago and i've enjoyed it if you've enjoyed it as well then please be sure to head over to adamroxby.uk for more articles like this i've got a newsletter which automatically lets you know when i've posted a new article and uh, please be sure to stick around because there's going to be more articles from the archives of the nursing times coming really soon Thanks very much, speak to you soon. Hi how are you doing it's Adam Roxby here back once again with another article from the archives of the Nursing Times. Uh, Back when I was the first student nurse editor of the Nursing Times I wrote an article every week and I've been recreating those on my website nearly ten years later. And it's been quite interesting and this time around I've got an article entitled Should We All Be A Little More Selfish, originally published on the 5th of December. Please be sure to head over to adamroxby.uk for more articles like this and I've also included the link to the original article over on the Nursing Times website so you can check it out there and also play around with the Nursing Times which is always fun. Anyway, here we go. I've noticed something in today's NHS, and it's something I can only describe as healthcare martyrdom. This pervasive culture which has permeated our hospitals makes nurses sacrifice their sanity on a regular basis. Even before I started my nurse training I would notice staff on a ward missing their lunch break in order to finish some paperwork, or if they were taking a break they would sit in front of a computer with one hand on a sandwich and the other hand on a mouse. I saw nurses who said that they hadn't had a toilet break or a drink all day because there wasn't the time. There were nurses who frequently stayed hours after a shift, which had finished at 9.30pm, only to be back at 7 the next morning. I'm sure that many students can also relate to this, not wanting to break the status quo and trying to give a good impression. I think This culture is dangerous and destructive. So who is my priority? Is it my patients? My family? Or should it be me? If we continue to put ourselves at the bottom of this list of priorities, then we should end up worn out and broken. We become ill and tired before our time. We won't be able to function or care for the patients that are the very reason we entered the profession in the first place. If we started to put ourselves first on more occasions, then I believe we would become more productive and compassionate nurses. I'm not saying that we should all become self-centred, but every day when I see nurses suffering, I feel worried. So, take a two-minute walk to break, go to the toilet if you need to, and try and eat somewhere that doesn't remind you of the work that you have to do. Because if you're unwell, who will be left to look after your patients? oh man this was definitely something that bugged me something chronic i i was a healthcare assistant before i became a student nurse and as i say you know i used to see nurses putting themselves under enormous stress and strain by as i say writing notes or filling out forms or you know trying to eat a sandwich with you know bells buzzing off or patients and you know calling out and these sort of things and I was thinking this is not a healthy state of affairs which is why from the very first day of my nurse's training and every day since I will take my break as it is given to me and I will make sure that I am off the ward I am if possible out of the building with the sky above me and the sound of birds and grass beneath my feet, I need to be completely physically removed from the location that I'm working, otherwise I can't separate myself or switch off or consider it that I've had a break and the nursing and midwifery council are quite clear on this, you know having a break is not some sort of uh you know pleasurable luxury it is an essential part of of a nurse's day because we can attribute so many problems to tiredness you know this is the reason why when you're driving down a motorway and you see tiredness kills well it's not just in the case of you falling asleep at the wheel being tired at work could be the difference between administering the right amount of a medication or a fatal dose of a medication in an extreme example and even you know with that extreme example that you can boil it down to even more simple problems and the fact that we need to look after ourselves because it's quite often the the cumulative effects of this stress and strain can be you know horrendously detrimental as i said in the article you know we we could burn out well before our time and if you take the time to look after yourself physically and mentally you can go from having a short fiery um, you know stressful career to a long productive and you know cumulatively a more beneficial career for your patients and for society as a whole Um unfortunately i don't think it's a situation that's getting particularly better given that you know as i record this i am you know awaiting my second covid vaccination and every advert you see on television is all is talking about sort of protecting the nhs and one of the reasons one of the ways we can do that is not by spreading the virus but also by allowing staff on the ward to to have their break and not to feel guilty for that which is another thing that i I used to see you know about you know almost 10 years ago now this sort of guilt or um strange you know really strange you know feelings of oh i haven't got time to take my break well really you do and also staying late was another thing nurses especially you know in the hospital environment which is where i started my career was you used to feel really guilty if you handed anything over you know this this sacred ritual that you do at the beginning and the end of every shift is to inform the following shift as what's been going on and also what needs doing and if things need doing then you shouldn't necessarily have to stay behind and finish everything on your to-do list but you should feel happy confident and able to hand things over to the next shift because as we kept on getting told nursing is a 24-hour caring community so we care for patients and people under our care for 24 hours a day and it doesn't matter that you haven't done everything on your list you know you can hand it over if it's not urgent and it can be done maybe during the night or even the following day so yes drink your water meditate regularly go to the toilet and if possible try and get outside as much as possible during your working day just to have that fresh air And be able to look up and see the clouds and hear the birds and you will be surprised at how liberating and restorative that process can be when for the past sort of, you know, God knows how many hours all you've had is, you know, bleeping pumps and people calling out and bells and other distractions and things which are just generally adding to your stressful day anyway as i said i'm uploading all of these articles from the archives of the nursing times over on my website adamroxby.uk i hope you can join me there for some more i've also got a newsletter which keeps you up to date as to when i post new articles but anyway i look forward to speaking to you as always really soon